The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, the EMEA editor of Provoke, and I'm joined in London today from Toronto by Lyndon Johnson, the founder of communications agency Think Differently. Lyndon, welcome to the Provoke Podcast. Maya, great to be here. Thank you. So we first spoke back in the autumn when I interviewed you for a huge feature I wrote on neurodiversity in the PR industry and specifically how it could be seen, uh, the various forms of neurodiversity, as superpowers rather than deficits. Um, can you tell our listeners, just to introduce yourself, a little bit about your own background, your own superpower, and how it has informed the creation of Think Differently and the work you do? Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, my background first, I uh, trained as a broadcast journalist. I was one of the first 30 uh, graduates from the UK's first undergraduate program in broadcast journalism. And I worked as a journalist uh, predominantly in broadcast for a few years around the program and then afterwards. But then when the market changed in the UK, I got an opportunity to work in communications, which was something that kind of lent very well to the skills that I had developed through the degree and through my work as a journalist. And I thought it would be a relatively short stop. And it became the last 25 years working, uh, helping organizations with strategic communications. And I worked in agencies uh, and a couple of in-house positions in the UK before I moved to Canada at the end of 2010. And at the time, everything happened quite quickly. And so uh, I couldn't work for a Canadian company until my paperwork was finalized. And so I started to think, well, if I was going to start a business, what would I do? And that's really kind of started on the journey that I've been on since I, I arrived at the end of 2010 to try and figure out how we might make sense of what we do and answer some of the questions that our industry has been trying to answer for as long as I've been in the industry. The neurodiversity part of me, I always used to say that I suffered with and over the years I've got older, I'm less comfortable with that because while there are some negatives from the conditions, I have obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, I am also autistic. And I discovered a way to describe something which I experienced but couldn't explain or couldn't explain in a way that would make sense to uh, people that don't have the condition uh, of being high, a high functioning uh, anxiety disorder as well. And so the combination of those things really have shaped my life from a very early age. But one of the, the real benefits is that I like to try and make sense of things. I like to try and apply logic to things that I'm looking at to try and make sense of them, uh, whether that's talking to people where I'm interviewing them as a journalist or whether I'm trying to get to the bottom of a problem that I'm trying to solve. And so those superpowers really are the things that have enabled me to start the work that I've been engaged in for the last decade uh, and also to, to kind of lead it and continue it to, to where we are today. And you called your agency Think Differently, which seems to relate back to what you've just said and that you've, you've got a, a different way of, of looking at the world. What is it that you do differently to other 
communications agencies, do you think? Yeah, it, it definitely is. It's kind of a, a tip of the hat to, to Apple and to Steve Jobs and the, the Think Different campaign. But it's definitely also part of me in there as well and, and kind of reflecting the way that I see the world and the way that we wanted to approach the work that we do. Initially, when I started to think about what I might do when I got to Canada, one of the challenges that I'd seen repeatedly in the agencies that I'd worked in was that early stage and kind of small businesses typically found it harder to figure out what the value was to their business of what we were providing for them. And that was partly because of the services that were being provided to them. It was partly uh, that you know the organization wasn't really ready for what was being delivered. And so there was just this kind of product market fit problem or, or a kind of a lack of fit. Mm. And so we wanted to try and figure out if there were companies like that that didn't necessarily get all of the benefit they could from working with a traditional agency, was there a way that we could actually provide that? And so we made decisions fairly early on that we weren't going to do uh, retainers um, because they didn't seem to work for that kind of customer. Mm. We also didn't want to focus on pitching media, partly because of uh, the challenges that are involved in it and also in communicating value from it, um, particularly to those kind of businesses. And that really then led us to try and figure out if we were going to do something like that, how would we do it? And, and in reality, everything about the way that we've kind of built the businesses around it is, is different, but it was kind of part by necessity and part by a desire to avoid doing some of the things that I'd found personally didn't work uh, for the agency that I'd worked with or didn't work for our customers. And now you've come up with, another very different and really fascinating offer from your agency, which you're calling SCIENCE as an acronym standing for Strategic Communications Intelligence Engine and Contextual Ecosystem, which I absolutely love. Um, when you first told me about this, you said, we believe we have sequenced the strategic comms genome to be able to enable practitioners to better design strategies to achieve measurable outcomes, reduce waste, and demonstrate the value of public relations, something the industry has said it wanted to be able to do for decades. Now, this sounds like very much like you might have hit on something akin to the holy grail of, of public relations. Tell us what science is all about and how you came up with the idea. Yeah, well, science is really about making better strategic decisions. Uh, it's about being able to demonstrate the value of everything that we do and also to be able to identify the things that won't perhaps deliver the value uh, that a customer is looking for and so wouldn't serve either party to, to pursue it, but doing that based on evidence. And the way that we started to look at solving the problem of finding a, a different way of working for, for businesses that um, would traditionally not kind of a good fit for, for, for the agency model uh, was really just starting to ask questions and kind of figure out, well, you know, why is that? Why, you know, why are there these questions and why can't we actually uh, answer, you know, kind of the value question? And so we started to, to kind of really look at, you know, those problems. It's around the time I came to Canada, the, the book, uh, The Lean Startup by Eric Ries had just uh, recently been published. And they say, you know, the key to really falling in love with the problem, not with the solution. And that was something that 
I kind of really connected with and, and wanted to really get to the bottom of it. If I couldn't figure out how to solve it, I at least wanted to understand what the problem was so that, you know, there was at least a, a step forward and we could start to then, you know, look at incrementally solving parts of the problem so that, you know, we, we were kind of adding more value to the work that we did for customers. The other thing was that the business model that we were looking at was very different to a traditional agency. And over the years, the, there have come two businesses now that have been founded out of this work. But um, the first business model that we had was really working like an Apple Genius Bar. So rather than paying a regular amount every month and providing services to the value of, of what was paid, we wanted to try and provide real-time advice, particularly because of the types of businesses that we were working with. But also uh, one of the, the definitions of a startup is a, a human centric organization working in conditions of extreme uncertainty, which now clearly with everything that we've been through over the last few years applies to every business. But when we started to look at it, it was really something that was only specifically relevant to startups. Uh, and that really then started to, to kind of help us to look at what were these disconnects? What were the, the causes of the problems that meant that we couldn't do some of the things that we wanted to do? And that led to you know, what's now become science. Um, it's really important. I mean, we talk, you, you talk a bit about, there's a lot of academic theory, isn't there? There's a, there's a lot of scientific methodology, but it's really important that it isn't just a theory or a white paper or blueprint. It is it works. It's about operationalized best practice and workflow. It's more like an operating system than, than anything else. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's one of those things, as you say, there's a lot of academic work. When we started, we didn't want to look to see what was there because we felt that it might kind of guide us in a direction that wouldn't serve what we were trying to do. So we started by looking at each of the different problems in isolation. But once we'd started to, to kind of get to a point where we had a pretty clear idea of uh, a solution or a, a way forward on it, we then looked to see, you know, the academic research and operation, operationalized practice that was there to, to back it up. And you're, you're right, everything that we've done, we've been able to, to kind of look and, and find academic research that supports what we found from, from kind of developing hypotheses from uh, running experiments and then evaluating, you know, the evidence that we had to support the things that, that you know, we were starting to believe as, as we kind of gathered the data. Um, there's also, you know, loads more intellectual rigor to this. Ontology and taxonomy are really important here, aren't they? And you talk about this being a new common language for communications. Why is that so crucial to this really working in the way that previous tools haven't? It's one of the things that we found when we looked at it that particularly around the research, there was research that supported one of the ideas in one of the core comms disciplines, uh, but there wasn't really anything that linked them up. And then when we started to look at how we would actually deliver uh, this method to help the, the kind of the companies that we, we, were, we were talking to and, and, and we thought that we could help, we realized that in order to explain the value or explain functionally what we do from a PR perspective, we also needed to be able to put it into context functionally, you know, in terms of marketing, publicity, to look at you know, how media plays a role in that, how 
content that is either paid, earned, shared, or owned, fitted into it, um, looking at the role of brand. And so as we started to, to kind of figure that out, initially we, we developed some internal tools because there wasn't anything that enabled us to work in the way that we wanted to work. Um, and when we kind of looked at the tools as we were starting to build them to gather information, we started to see that work in one area was dependent on context and data from another of the comms disciplines. Um, and as we've gone along, we started to then see that there was actually a, a structure to it. And then it was repeatable. We started to see the same patterns. Um, and as we started to see that, we started to play around with the idea of uh, having a periodic table of elements that kind of presented the structure visually in the same way as the, the, the chemical uh, periodic table exists. Um, the table that we've developed kind of creates that, that um, framework. It creates the structure so that if you're working in any one of the different disciplines, you can see the interrelationships uh, and uh, also you can have this shared definition of what the terms mean. The, the, um, the science periodic table of PR elements is one of the most elegant bits of, of data viz if you, <laughs> or, or structural um, planning that I've, I've ever seen in the industry. I think I do urge everyone to, to have a look at your website. I'll put the address in the show notes so you can go and have a look at it. Talk us, to give me a bit more detail, like kind of bring it to life if you, if you can in words about the periodic table what's what's in it i mean are there that many elements yeah so um there are around 60 elements and i'm just looking at it now and realize that i've not counted it to see um exactly how many we're, we're at right now um but uh, i think there are 60 we've recently added uh, some commercial elements that link what we do from a pr perspective uh, and also what marketers do as well with uh, innovation and product development, which has kind mm -hmm. of been one of the, the kind of most recent pieces of work. Um, but it, it is, um, as you might imagine, if you know uh, the table of chemical elements, um, we've grouped it into communications disciplines. So there's public relations, marketing, publicity, media, brand. Uh, there's a, a news group, a storytelling group and a trust group. And there are also periods. So all of the information, uh, again, in the same way as the, uh, the regular periodic table works, are organized by type so that you can see that uh, particular pieces of information all have uh, a standard set of characteristics. And so they can you know, be looked and be seen to behave in a particular way um, in terms of the, the workflow and the methodology that we've developed. Can you give me a kind of a real life example of what using this toolkit would enable a, a startup or a brand or commerce practitioners to do that they, they couldn't do before? I think one of the most important things is that it provides the ability for a shared understanding of what's true and what's known. And that then opens up a whole load of opportunities for discussion and for discovering the data that really matters in the context of a particular outcome. Um, we developed a series of strategy canvases that are really the, the vehicle for, for managing the process or the, the starting point for it. Uh, but it, it creates that shared um, understanding. 
it also then enables the group to be able to look at it. And it could be a group working within one function. It could be a cross-functional team of, of comms professionals. It could be a mix of comms and uh, non-comms people. But you start to look at it and understand what data you need to know to be true in order to achieve a particular outcome. And you start always by looking at what you're trying to achieve. And then from there, you can determine which pieces of information you need, the degree of certainty for each of the kind of core elements for a strategy in each area. And then there's a process for setting up experiments to test things that you think you know to varying degrees or to gather data uh, on things that actually it's, it's accepted that the group doesn't understand or doesn't know to be true. So therefore, anything that is developed that's based around something that's unknown has a, a significantly greater uh, amount of risk involved. And so you would then start to look at that first. Um, but it really gives you that ability to, to define what an outcome is in the context of, of the group, to look at what must be true in order for a strategy to achieve it, and then to be able to validate the information that relates to all of the things that need to be true in order to achieve it, to be tested, to be uh, looked at in context. So something might be true uh, from the perspective of, of looking at it from on a primary facer basis, but actually when other pieces of information are known, it may be untrue. And so you can then run more experiments to determine the truth in the context of everything else that's known. Uh, and it also then enables you to be able to measure um, a functional outcome from a piece of work um, that then can be translated into commercial value. And it can be functional value from each discipline, or it could be a compound. But having all of the elements, having uh, the ontology uh, particularly, uh, enables you to build compounds that can be broken apart, they can be tested, they can be rerun in context to see whether or not you get the same results. So there's kind of scientific rigor to uh, the, the, the method as well. This is absolutely fascinating. This is going to be like manna to all the all the geeks out there who love all this measurement stuff. It, this, is, this is a very different approach to the, as you said, the traditional PR agency approach where you, you take or, or even develop a, a, pure, a pure comms brief. This, this goes back some steps before that, doesn't it? What kind of feedback have you had from clients you've been working with on this methodology? Well, I think the biggest piece of feedback is really that it creates clarity. And there really isn't the conversation now about what people think because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I think as somebody that's worked in the industry for 25 years, it doesn't matter what somebody else's opinion is that may be coming from a non-coms uh, position in the business. What matters is what there's evidence to support and the decisions that you make knowing that something is 50% true, 100% true, or somewhere in between, you can make decisions where risk is, is kind of calculated um, and factored into the decisions that are made. So I think that's one of the big things that, you know, opinions are not really uh, important. It's being able to, to kind of demonstrate, you know, kind of what the truth is in, in the situation. Mm. We made a decision very early on that we were never going to tell people that they were wrong 
um, people would come to us with scenarios and ask us to help them with things. And we'd say, well, how do you how do you know that's accurate? Because obviously the value of the work that we did to help them would be uh, evaluated based on the information that we were presented with. And we realized that if that information was wrong, our advice could be uh, less effective than than it could be if we kind of knew, you know, the real situation. Um, and so it's just creating that ability to um, understand the reality of a situation in the context of achieving an outcome uh, and being able to, to do it and to do it transparently. I think one of the, the biggest things that we've seen is that our customers believe the decisions that are made, um, whether we're making them on their behalf and advising them or whether it's something that's made as a, as a kind of co-op collaborative decision, because the evidence is there. We don't make it without giving them the evidence to explain why we're advising they do something or they, they don't do something. And equally, they have the capability to take the evidence off and test it um, and to come back with different data if, you know, the experiments that they run uh, show that, that something is different to, to, you know, the experiments that we've run to collect it. So, Lyndon, you're using an awful lot of scientific language, and I think that's that incredibly refreshing when we're talking about public relations. But where does the where does the craft and art come into this? Where does creativity fit in your framework? It really sits on top. And that's one of the things that um, over the years people have, have kind of asked us about and about, you know, is it removing kind of creativity? And in reality, creativity sits across all of the, the, the areas, all of the, the elements. It just gives you the kind of confidence to build something, um, you know, that, that kind of maximizes the, the creative ideas, having uh a concrete structure it's we've used the analogy of architecture in the past that you know beautiful building is great but if it's not structurally safe then mm. it ultimately puts people at risk and it, it you know potentially falls into a pile of rubble you have to have the engineering underneath it to support whatever you're building and so um, we work with partners that you know provide creative services that's not something that we do but when we're briefing them we can give them something that you know kind of has a degree of specificity that we couldn't do if if we were working with briefs that sometimes we're given by customers or or kind of you know we know that when we're not sure that the evidence that we're given is actually accurate like it sounds like the kind of the experimental phase of the um evolution of a strategy would include testing creative ideas to see if they're the right ones see if they resonate with audiences or that kind of thing would that would that be true absolutely and one of the things that we're working on now is actually um, partnering with uh, uh, an organization that has developed something similar but specifically for uh, the visual uh, design and the the kind of the the uh, design the graphic design part of, of uh, all of the work that we do. Um, let's go back to the measurement bit, because that's fascinating. In our, in our preview of 2022 themes we'd like to see in PR, Paul Holmes, our founder, said he'd like to see someone finally figuring out a way of measuring the value of trust, which is obviously a, a huge premium and is, is getting hugely dented um, all over the world. Might your science methodology be an answer to that question we hope so 
Um, we started looking at trust uh, a few years ago, and it was something that took a, a lot of work to fully understand. But one of the things that we came to believe is that trust isn't something uh, that you can apply generically um, to anything, to an organization, to a message, to a publication, a journalist. It has to be seen in context. Unless you understand the context, it's really hard to come to any solid conclusion about trustworthiness and whether something is, is trusted or not. And we came across something that uh, was a, a model for trust that was developed by a Harvard Business uh, School professor. And so we've incorporated that model into the work that we've done. But because we have uh, the table of elements, we have the, the, the hierarchy, we have the taxonomy, we can actually apply trust to anything. And then, you know, because you can actually isolate what you're trying to determine the trustworthiness of, it makes it much easier to assign uh, a commercial value to. So we believe that by having a separate trust engine that enables you to determine the, the kind of rel relative trust to any one of the elements uh, gives us the opportunity to, to get closer to being able to measure uh, both the organizational opportunity cost um, of trust, but also uh, to be able to translate it into financial terms as well. Yeah, I mean that, that was my next question. We talked a little bit about the commercial, the commercial elements. Is it? Uh, it sounds like you're getting also getting closer to being able to equate comms strategy with business success, bottom line business success. Yeah, again, we, we hope so. Uh, it's something that we've been working on, and and we've developed a, a master equation, a working equation for strategy. Um, and that includes obviously applying it to the business because a, a strategy that isn't connected to the business, um, you know, can't be measured in commercial terms. Yeah. So we've developed what we believe is a, a single working equation for strategy. And uh, we've been working to apply values to that, to, to financial values, to uh, each element each um, piece of the equation um, to see whether we can resolve it or not. And so far the work is looking pretty good. Um, but like any science, when we started to kind of show what we were doing, we didn't want to present it as something that was finished because it's not, it's science. And the nature of science is that it will be tested and there are likely new science found as we go forward. Yeah. And that's part of, you know, our hope for this is that, um, well, we have hypotheses on a number of things um, as an industry. Um, we're hoping that what we've done will kind of create, you know, an opportunity for us um, as a community to, to kind of work on some of these things collaboratively. Um, this is this is amazing. How will you be developing the science toolkit further? What 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 happens next? What's still to do? Um, in terms of the things that are still to do, there's, uh, it's funny, you think you get to the end of a list and then you find other things <laughs> that, you know, um, kind of come up as part of, you know, actually using it. Um, the next kind of steps for us is to try to build software that uses the engine 
so that we can actually um, make this something that you can use online. Right now, a lot of the stuff that we've developed is, is kind of physical. Mm. And we wanted to develop it that way, partly to see whether we could solve the problem, because trying to build software for something we can't actually add value to, to what's already out there seemed to be um, an expensive way to, to kind of go about it and also might lead us in a direction that we, we didn't necessarily want to go. Um, so that's definitely one of the, the, the next steps. Um, we're also looking at developing um, a series of APIs. We've developed a way to integrate what we've built with third-party tools. And the, the aim there is to look and see whether we can actually integrate it uh, from a technology perspective so that you would be able to plug in science to any of the other tools that you, you might have to use for uh, business model development or value proposition uh, experiments or testing business ideas or um, you know some of the things you use for customer relationship management and things like that. Um, so they're definitely things that we, uh, we're going to be working on. The other thing is just we're starting now to make the toolkits, the physical toolkits available um, to independent consultants um, and also to agencies. Uh, we've been using them with uh, customers internally for a number of years, um, but we haven't got to the point where um, we've got it to a point where we were comfortable making it available to agencies to use. But that's something that uh, we're looking to do um, between now and the end of the year. Fantastic. So this could end up being part of um, any agency's data stack effectively. Uh, effectively. And, and that's where we think it has real value mm. because, you know, if you can make better informed decisions, it helps everybody, um, you know, particularly from a PR perspective, if you can demonstrate, you know, the, the value that the work that we do has for an organization as a standalone, great, but if we can also then uh, demonstrate the value in the context of our, our colleagues in marketing or publicity or people working in brand, um, then, you know, it, it takes on a, a magnitude greater impact, we hope. Mm, absolutely. Finally, what are your what's your ambition for science? We've touched on a little bit of, of where it might go there, but what do you hope it could achieve for the comms industry more broadly? I think what I always wanted it to do, once we once we got over the first uh, part of actually figuring out where we started and kind of serving you know customers that couldn't get agency support um, for whatever reason. People have said over the years that some of the questions that we've asked are a challenge to the industry and the work that we've done from start to finish has always been about helping our industry, particularly PR, to demonstrate the value of what we do because it's something that for as long as I've been working in the industry has always been something that's held against us. Um, and I think that, you know, if we can demonstrate the value of PR uh, to organizations that you know ask us for help to our colleagues in other comms disciplines I think that would be um, a huge ambition for, for, for what we've done it'd be a, a you know kind of something I would kind of sit back and smile about and think that the work that we've done had been um, worth something well it sounds like you're not far off 
Cracking the code, Lyndon. Thank you so much for walking us through the science of science. Absolutely fascinating stuff. I, and um, I'm sure we'll, there'll be lots more to come, lots more bits of, of evidence of, of how it's really helping um, brands of all sizes. So um, thank you so much for joining me today, Lyndon. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.